right. Good morning. Hey, before I get started this morning, I want to have a, a just brief period of, of prayer. Uh, a couple of things on my heart, on my mind, I'd like for us to pray about. Number one, I would like to commend you as a church uh, for what you're doing for the Vanskoy family. I, I just wholeheartedly commend you. Uh, at the end of the service, Ted will share with you more in detail uh, the vote that was given and, and the retirement gift that's being given to the family. Uh, most of our churches don't do this, and, and, and it's a shame, but uh, you are to be commended for that. Uh, number two, um, Danny and Carmen, and I understand all three, Jay included, have COVID. Uh, Jay has gone back into the hospital, and he's in intensive care. And so if you would lift that family in prayer, appreciate that. Number three, uh, I met Jeremy Klein, your preacher in waiting. All right, he'll be coming in March. But uh, Jeremy and I spent about two hours together uh, this past week. Had a nice breakfast and just be able to share life and ministry. And he seems like a fine young man, and I believe that he's going to do you a, a great job when he gets here. So be in prayer for him, his wife, the finding of a house their three kids as they transition here as well. I would appreciate that. And then the last thing is just that we would pray for today's message. God will speak to your heart in the way that you need to hear. Okay? Let's do that right now. Father, we just come in the name of Jesus Christ, our living Lord. I thank you so much for this church and what they have decided to do in order to honor Danny and the family. Uh, what an awesome, awesome thing. But Father, we also lift them in prayer because of the illness, and I pray for, uh, for your strength, your presence, and your healing in their lives. Father, I also thank you for preparing Jeremy and his family for their move here. Uh, I just pray that you would open the doors that need to be, that they would find the house that they need to be in, and that all things would uh, be to honor you. And Father, through your word this morning, we're going to open it up, we're going to take a look, but help us not to think about somebody else that it might be for them, help us think about ourselves, that it is for us, each one of us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this morning, um, I, I, I just wanted to share with you something that happened to me when I was out of the ministry. I was in ministry for five years, out for three. I shared that with you last week. I was in a grocery warehouse, 30 to 40 guys on our second shift. And... Um, uh, one by one, different guys would come to me and ask me about things of the Lord. They would understand that I was in ministry and that I loved the Lord. And so they would come with different questions at different times. And the one time a guy came to me and he goes, Mike, don't you think that most people are going to go to heaven and that hell is reserved for a few people? I mean, those that are really, really bad and they deserve it, right? Well, we know better than that. But he did not. And I think that most of the rest of the world really doesn't quite understand either. And it was one of those times where I believe that the Holy Spirit just gave me what to say at this particular time for this particular person. And I, what came to my mind was this passage in the Sermon on the Mount. And I asked him, I said, well, if I had 10 of something that I was going to give away to you, and I said, hey, you can have a few of these, how many would you choose? Well, two is a couple, so it would be, but three seems to be the few. Four or five would be a little too much. I said, okay, well, let's settle on three. Now, if it was a hundred, 
How many would a few be if I said, you can have a few of these, and there were a hundred of them? Well, now it still could be three. It could be 10, it could be 20, but now 30%, 30 seems almost a little too much for a few. And I did that with the number 1,000 as well. How many is a few? And after we went through that little exercise, I then shared with them this passage of Scripture from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, you need to enter in through the narrow gate. Because wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in there. Because narrow is the gate, straight is the way that leads into life, and only a few there be that find it. And I said, now, according to what you just said, a few and many, how many are going to make it to heaven? We realize that if you understand who Jesus is, the Son of God who came from heaven, the Son of God who is going back to heaven, the one who knows what's going on and, and knows the future as well as, and if he were to set this ratio of few to many, we understand that not too many are going to make it, the exact opposite of what he was coming to me with. And I think the exact opposite of most of the rest of the world as well. With this in mind, I started thinking, why is it that people do not understand this? Why is it that they get into this kind of mode where that, well, most of us are going to make it? And, and, and several things came to mind for me. There are those who are just by nature, their personality, risk takers, all right? They like to live on the edge, like to do the things that are just out there. And, and that would be me. I'm one of those risk takers. My granddaughter and I just two years ago did the high ropes course at Mohican Valley, or Mohican. Anybody been up there, done that? <laughs> those high ropes courses, those are high. And we were exhausted when we were done. She and I are the ones that did the zip line together. See, I wanted to be the fun grandpa, all right? That was me. And, and, and we just, I was always the risk taker. Five broken arms, uh, broken leg, stitches from playing ball, just all kinds. I was that risk taker. I was the guy in Florida when our family went down there for a vacation. And you know, you go off on these side little things and this guy's over there and he's, he's got these alligators and then he's got this big boa, right? And he's playing around with this thing. And then he asked for a volunteer from the crowd. Guess who that was? Yeah, that was me. And my brothers knew it. And they were one of the, Mikey, you do it, you know, one of those. And that was me. I, I've, I've always been that risk taker. I just like having fun and being out on the edge. And I think that a lot of people in the world enjoy that as well. And they're afraid that if they come to Jesus Christ, that he's going to take away their fun. He doesn't do that. I still have fun. How about you as a Christian? Don't you have fun? Come on. He made life to be fun, to enjoy it. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. All right? He didn't come to take it away. He's come to put guardrails on and, and guidelines so that we don't hurt ourselves and those around us. But he's not the killjoy. I think that some people don't understand that God wants our best. I think that some people just have a rebellious attitude. They just don't want anyone at any time telling them anything they have to do or not do. 
Satan has a rebellious attitude. And I think a lot of that comes from the enemy. You're not going to tell me what to do. And I think that that's why some people do not come to Christ, don't see it. Some just don't see the danger. They don't see it. They don't know enough to understand the danger. It's like a person that's kind of walking through the fog and walking toward the cliff. But if you know the cliff is there and they don't, then it becomes yours to let them know. And I think sometimes the people who do not see the danger, it's ours to warn them. That's ours. But even when we do tell them, I think this is the fourth category, some never will listen. They will never hear it. It just won't. Sometimes we're just like that. Too much noise from other people. Too many things to consider. We're just doing too many things in life, and we just don't listen. Seven churches were written to in the book of Revelation. Seven times to seven churches, it says, and the Spirit says, if you've got ears to hear, do what? Listen. To what the Spirit says. Sometimes we could hear it, just not listen. But it's that important. Only a few are going to make it. That becomes serious for me, and I hope it becomes more serious for you, just because we're talking about it again this morning. And I only have two points this morning. That was number one. How about that? Boy, am I different from Danny, aren't I? (laughs) But that's okay. We both love the Lord, we both love the Word, and we both hope that you understand just a little better when you leave so that you can trust Him a little more this next week. The second point is that Jesus does not end well. I believe the Sermon on the Mount recorded for us in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 was preached at one time. But I think that also Jesus pulls out different lessons at different times through his ministry as well. He'll pull out the idea of the birds and the lilies of the field, and he'll use that again a little bit later. He'll pull out some other things when he's preaching along for the three and a half years that he was here. But I believe that he was here, and he preached this sermon at one time as well. We saw in the first sermon that he sat down, and he, his disciples came to him. And began to teach them. But when he ends this message, at the end of chapter 7, he says this. If anyone hears these words of mine and does them, I shall liken him unto a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house. And it fell not, for it was founded upon the rock. But if anyone hears these words of mine and does them not, he shall be likened unto a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rains descended and the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house. And great was the fall of it. And that's how he ends his sermon. It is obvious to me that Jesus did not have R.J. Kidwell for his speech professor. He would never let him get away with that ending. 
nor any of my homiletics preacher, teachers and professors, you don't end a lesson like that. You just don't do it. But Jesus did. I think the idea, what, what would you do? I just wonder how they all dispersed. Jesus is sitting there. He's teaching them. He ends with this. I wonder if then he, he leaves them in their silence to think about it, and he just gets up and walks off. I wonder if he just sits there and he's done. He just lets them think about it, and they all begin to leave one at a time. I don't know. Whatever it is, if this is the last thing that you hear Jesus teach in this message, okay, what are you talking about on your way home? What's going to stick in your mind? It's that last thing that he said. And now you have to consider, will I not just listen to him, but will I obey him? Jesus is the one. Can you imagine anybody else saying this? Jesus is the one who said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Can you imagine a preacher standing here? If you really love me, you will do what I tell you to do. Only the Son of God could do that. In John 15, 14, he says, you're my friends if you do whatever I command you to do, which means if you don't, you're not my friend. Who else would stand there except the Son of God and say something like that? I think he didn't leave them much choice. He only had three and a half years in order to convince mankind that he was the Son of God come down to earth who could heal, who could teach, who could calm the storm, who could walk on water, who could raise the dead, who could make a lame man to walk who could prophesy that he was going to raise from the dead and then do it three and a half years he had and that was it no sword nothing else but the love of the father within him and he could say these kind of things i'll tell you what if i were sitting at his preaching it could make me very uncomfortable how about you I want you to do something for me right now, okay? Um, take your hands and just put them right out in front of you. Not up in the air, but just right out in front of you, all right? Do that. Now, interlock your fingers, all right? Just fold your hands, okay? Now, I'm curious. If you folded your hands and your right thumb is on top, raise your hand. I'm just curious, okay? If you're a left-hander on top, raise your hand. Man, that's about half. Isn't that amazing? I'm a right thumb guy, so I think everybody's a right thumb guy, right? It's not it. Now, put them the opposite way. Whatever it was, if the right was on top, now put the left on top, and vice versa, okay? Is that a little awkward? Doesn't it feel a little uncomfortable? All right, now do this. Cross your arms. Just go ahead and cross your arms. Come. Now, cross them the other way. Isn't that awful? My right hand doesn't want to stay in there. It's just goofy, isn't it? Uh, it's just uncomfortable. It's unnatural. All the, now, you're going to have to do this. Take your left hand. That would be the one on this side of you, okay? Take your left hand, put it up here in the air, 
put it over your head, touch your right ear, turn to somebody and say, you look pretty silly. Just, yeah, you do. All right, I just threw that one in there for fun, okay? <laughs> With two lessons. Number one, when God calls us to be his, he calls us to be uncomfortable until we do it enough times that we feel like, oh yeah, this does make sense. But when you change something right away and he calls you to follow me, that's not going to seem right at first. It's not. The other point of this is that there are those in this world who gain an audience just because they can do something that other people cannot do. They can put a ball through a hoop. They can throw a football. They can sing. They can hold an audience. Their influence is just tremendous in this world. And all of a sudden, because they have this kind of influence, people listen to what they have to say about God. Isn't that amazing? Like they would know about God because they can do one of these other things? Or they will listen to them about parenting? Or they'll watch them and they're now living with somebody instead of getting married and having kids, and then finally they get married. Well, I guess it's not all that bad. And because they can do something special in this world, people give them an audience and think, oh, then that's okay. I'm telling you, Jesus said, you got to listen to my words and do them. And he isn't messing around. He's the one who loves us so much that he went to the cross to die for us. And as his sheep, we need to hear the voice of the shepherd. The end of this, your foundation, is it rock solid or is it sand? I love telling stories on my family. It's because God, I think, brings so many spiritual truths to us within our environment, our family, our homes. My two little granddaughters, I, you know one of the best things about being a grandpa is that you get to teach them all the fun things to do and then leave them, and I love it. I determined that when my grandkids were born, I'm going to be the fun grandpa, okay? So I was the one that introduced my two granddaughters to Arby's Jamocha Milkshakes. Ah, how many's there with me? Come on, you're there, okay. <laughs> Love those things. It's like coffee and chocolate syrup all stirred up. and it, Oh, is that good? So about age of three and four, I would introduce my granddaughters to Arby's Jamocha. That's not an easy word to say, Jamocha, okay, for a, a little girl. So my second granddaughter, in order to get her to say it, we accented that middle syllable, Jamocha. And it's, it's something she looked forward to. So when we'd go up there to the counter and we'd order Arby's, you know what she told him? She said, I want a Jamocha. And everybody would laugh, and, and they knew what we were after, and we just had a lot of fun with that. But my first granddaughter, much quieter. Oh, she loved him. I'd get that Jamocha shake. I'd get an empty cup. We'd split it. And then we'd sit there, and we'd just be drinking the life out of these two cups, right? And as she got, one day, as she got to the very end of it, you know, the straw, you're, you're sucking up the very end. You know what it sounds like. 
right? One of those numbers. Well, she's doing this, getting every drop that she can out of that Jamocha shake. And when she's done, she looks up at me and she goes, Grandpa, that is a sad sound. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? It is a sad sound. It means it's the end of the Jamocha shake, right? It is a sad sound. I think, I'm afraid, that too many people are going to go through life, enjoy what God's got for them, never really give him much consideration, and when they get to the day of judgment, they see him face to face. It's going to be worse than a sad sound. And they're going to understand they took everything and they did not give thanks. Really didn't understand. Really didn't listen. It's the end of life lesson is how he ends this Sermon on the Mount. So my question for you is, how's your foundation? Solid? Or is it sand? One's going to support you, the other one's not. My dad was in construction. We all grew up doing that. And one house in particular, I remember, we would put in the foundation, usually a couple of feet underneath, making sure you're taking care of the frost line, all that. But this one house, there was a creek in behind the house. And I remember the one corner of the house, we dig and we dig and we're going. I think we went about four feet down before we got to something solid. But we had to do it so the house would stand. You get it? And we got to do that with Christ in our lives. It's got to be that solid. I'm going to end with this. I, I just, I remember in high school, between my freshman and sophomore year in high school, during that summer I had my appendix out. So I could not play football. So I decided I've got to do something, so I ran cross-country instead. As a sophomore, first year running cross-country, I just loved to run. But first year, we were so bad that I was the only one on our team that won anything, okay? But there was a kid that was there. His name was Terry Daniels, and the only reason I remember that, he was a senior. I'm a sophomore. And in the locker room one day, he says, Mike, do you know whether or not you're saved? For sure, 100%. I said, well, Terry, I, I'm really trying to do it right. I've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I'm trying to honor with my life. He knew that. And he was too. And then he said to me, he said, well, I know 100% that I'm saved. And you know what I thought? Immediately I thought, you arrogant son of a gun. How can you know and I don't? And what I found out that there was a passage of scripture I really hadn't known about yet. It comes from 1 John, and he says this, These things have I written unto you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He wants you to know. He doesn't want you to have to guess. 
He wants you to understand that when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, he's your dad, no longer your judge. Everything's forgiven, past, present, and future, because it's genuine, because you listened, because you obey, because you want him to be Lord and Savior of your life. That means that you understand the grace of God, what he did for us on the cross, Jesus Christ. You understand that we are not saved by anything we do, but it's by accepting what he's done for us. Amen? But it also requires trust, faith. I believe he is who he said he is. I trust him enough that I will confess him before men. I am unashamed. I believe and I trust enough that I'm going to repent and I'm going to change my life, even if it's uncomfortable for a while. Because he'll make me righteous, what I do. And I will submit to him and be buried in water, just like he said, for the forgiveness of my sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because I listen and I obey. And I want him Lord and Savior of my life. Most of the sermons that I preach are to his church. You're his church for the most part. But there also might be someone who has never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, as Savior. If that's you this morning, the invitation is for you to take that step, to change your relationship with God, and know beyond a shadow of a doubt you're on a foundation that's solid. Jesus Christ will welcome you into heaven. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for your love for us, for your word for us, that it's true, it's faithful. And I just pray that if there's one who's outside of Christ here today, Father may be listening online and is outside of Jesus Christ, that they know that they can call here, they can stand together with someone who loves you and, and share with them what's the next step. And just come to that relationship within you that they would be saved. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.